From the studios of WORQ in Wisconsin, this is the Stand Up For The Truth podcast. Today's issues, overlooked headlines, and biblical observations, equipping the remnant around the globe. Got your sword handy? This is Stand Up For The Truth. It is a fresh new podcast today. I'm Crash Connell, and welcoming our frequency listeners in Northeast Wisconsin and online, q90fm.com slash listen. Yeah, Friday, October 6, 2023. Mary Danielson, we've got a great guest today. Yes, we do. And I always look forward to talking to Todd Nettleton of Voice of the Martyrs. Uh, it's so encouraging to have him on because we ourselves can gain surprising strength and perspective uh, from those who have persevered for the gospel in spite of the dangers that they face every day with no guarantees that their situation will change. Of course, they're trusting in the Lord for all of that. But I just have such great respect for Todd and the voice of the martyrs. So more from him in just a couple of minutes. I have a scripture for today, Titus 2, 11 to 14. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Let's pray together this morning. Heavenly Father, well, once again, we lay our times in your hands and we bring our struggles and our temptations to the cross of Jesus. We desire to lay them at your feet, trusting that your grace is sufficient for all things. Lord, at this hour in the world, we want to be found in you, laboring for things that matter eternally. Help us to hold eternity in our hearts until that day that you call us home and all of our strivings cease. You alone are worthy of our praise. We lift up Todd to you and the ministry to those who have really do have eternity in mind when the world persecutes them for their faith and their hope. We pray for wisdom and encouragement for him and his family and all those who are suffering for your name around the world, for all needs to be met, and to see your hand in all that they do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Todd Nettleton is the Chief of Media Relations and Message Integration for the Voice of the Martyrs USA, host of the Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Todd serves as a voice for persecuted Christians, inspiring U.S. Christians with the faithfulness of Christ's followers in 70-plus nations where they face persecution for wearing his name. During more than 20 years of serving at VOM, Todd has traveled the world and conducted face-to-face interviews with hundreds of Christians who've endured persecution in more than 30 nations. In 2014, Voice of the Martyrs launched a weekly radio program and podcast, which Todd hosts and produces. It's so well done. And then the book. I have to mention the book, When Faith is Forbidden, 40 Days on the Front Lines with Persecuted Christians. I strongly recommend this book for a devotional or, I mean, I read it in much less time and I'm going to tell you why, because it's hard to put down and it's so incredible to hear how God has enabled and equipped our brethren around the world. This is our church family to endure difficult and dangerous situations for the, just for the sake of the truth. And you, you really can't read the book and be, for lack of a better word, indifferent towards the persecuted church. And I, you know, we read the news here. We report the news here. This is also the news. And uh, it should all be part of our spiritual 
um, our spiritual devotions, our, our, our health, our spiritual health, I think, depends on, on having a perspective about persecution and what could be coming here. So the site for Voice of the Mars is persecution.com, V-O-M as in V as in voice, V-O-M-radio.net. And then you have an app, uh, Todd, in your app store. Welcome back to Stand Up for the Truth, first of all. And tell us a bit about that app and anything I might have missed. Well, thank you so much. I always look forward to our conversation. So I've been looking forward to this conversation this morning. Thank you for having me. Thank you for allowing me uh, to talk about our persecuted family members around the world. Uh, And yes, I do want to encourage people to download the app, whether you have a tablet, whether you have a smartphone, uh, whether it's Android, whether it's Apple, we have the app available for you. And uh, there are a lot of great resources in the app. It is all free. Uh, a couple of things. Number one, you can set your phone to remind you to pray every day for persecuted Christians. And, oh. and the app will remind you. It will pull up a new prayer request for that day. So uh, we are having people literally all around together for our persecuted brothers and sisters, and they're using the app to do that. So a new prayer request every day to help you pray for persecuted Christians, which, uh, and I think we'll talk about this a little bit when we talk about the International Day of Prayer, The first thing persecuted Christians ask us to do, the first thing they want us to do for them is to pray for them. Mm. Um, So when you download the app, when you start to pray every day for Christians, you're doing exactly what they're asking you to do. You're you're fulfilling their number one request. Mm. In addition to the daily prayer request, there are so many resources, books, uh, audio books. My book, the audio book version of my book is available in the app for free. Uh, videos, videos. There are videos for young people and children. Books, lots, lots of resources, a daily prayer request. All of that is free. Uh, it is just a great connection point mm-hmm. to our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world to enter into fellowship with them, to, to learn their names, to learn their faces, to learn what's going on in their countries, to be able to pray for them, and just to have that family connection. Yeah. Uh, the VOM app, and again, it's just called the VOM app. If you search for VOM app or Voice of the Martyrs, you will find it in your app store. Uh, and I would just encourage every single person, install that app, begin to pray every day for persecuted Christians. And I downloaded it this week, and it's fantastic. And I love that there's a reminder on there. And I think homeschool families, this could be part of your, your daily curriculum with the kids and they learn geography, and they learn what the cost people are paying for faith. It's great. You, you cannot introduce this too young. Also part of family devotional time. This would make a great opportunity to sit down with your kids when you have devotions and talk about people who have things a lot worse than we as Americans do because we can be real spoiled in this country. And also I want to remember that um, let people know that Voice of the Martyrs program airs Saturdays uh, at 8.30 a.m. Central Time right here on Q90FM. So that's another opportunity um, to hear uh, what you guys are doing for the church family. We do want to talk about the International Day of Prayer for Persecuted Christians coming up on Sunday, November 5th. Um, Todd, tell us about that. There is also, um, oh, I forgot to mention, let me just mention briefly, too, on persecution.com, there's a global prayer guide, too, by country. And uh, so I want to let people know that that's a possibility. Todd, tell us about that day, November 5th, and what can people find on persecution.com that can help them and their churches be mindful of uh, persecuted church? 
Well, I, you know, I mentioned the fact that the first thing persecuted Christians ask us to do is to pray for mm-hmm. them. So the International Day of Prayer, which is now, uh, I think we're past 25 years. Ooh. I think this is like 26 or 27 years. This was formed in direct answer to what Christians around the world who are persecuted ask us to do. Uh, and so there will be Christians praying all across the United States, but also all across Europe, all across China, all across the world, praying together for those Christians who are facing persecution. And uh, each year, the Voice of the Martyrs does a series of resources. One of the, the kind of the flagship resource is a short video. And the idea of the video is simply to put a face on the people we're praying for. Uh, it is easy to say, God bless persecuted Christians, uh, but it's also easy not to say that. Uh, when it becomes a person and a place and you know their situation and you know their story, it is much more personal to pray for that person. And so uh, every year we do a video, it's about five minutes long. It is great for a Sunday school class, it's great for your family devotions. It is great in a in a main worship service, uh, just to put a face on the people we're praying for. And this year, we're focusing on the country of Nepal, and particularly a young man named Sejun. Uh, Sejun was sent to a monastery as a young, very young child uh, to grow up, to be trained, to be a Buddhist monk. Um, he did not want to go to the monastery. He did not like what he found at the monastery. He did not like the training. Uh, he was treated very harshly. At age 13, he escaped. He ran away from the monastery, went back to his home. Instead of saying, welcome home, son, we're so happy you're here, his parents said, how could you do this? How could you leave the monastery? How could you shame us by doing this? Uh, his father said, hey, even though you're 13 years old, you're going to go to school. If, if you're going to stay here with us, you're going to go to school, but you have to start in first grade. Um, and so he, as a 13-year-old, was sent to first grade with all these little tiny kids. Um, very embarrassing for him, very awkward for him. And that was the goal. The goal was to shame him into saying, okay, I give up. I'll go back to the monastery. Uh, but at that school, there was a Christian teacher who reached out to Sejun, who presented the gospel to him, and ultimately Sejun became a follower of Jesus Christ, our brother in Nepal who is walking with Jesus there. Uh, his story is the focus of the five-minute video this year, and again, The whole idea is simply to put a face, to put a name, to put a situation in front of us as we're praying for persecuted Christians around the world on the International Day of Prayer. That video is free to you if you want it. If you go to persecution.com, there's a link to the IDOP International Day of Prayer resources. If you prefer a DVD, we will send you one for free. If you prefer a digital download, you can download it for free online. Um, There are also other tools there. There is a facilitator's guide. If you want to use this in a Sunday school class, Uh, there's a guide to say, hey, here's how you do that. Here's some questions you can ask after you watch the video. There are other videos. There's a church bulletin insert. There are prayer slides to kind of have a guided prayer time. Uh, There's even a sermon builder resource. If you're a pastor or a teacher and you say, hey, I want to give that whole Sunday to talking about persecution, to talking about persecuted Christians, there are resources to help you do that. So uh, again, all of this is free, all of it is available, and all of it is in response to what persecuted Christians ask us to do. Uh, Just visit persecution.com and access these resources for the International Day of Prayer. Mm Yes, I watched the video and I had goosebumps from beginning to end because I was struck by 
how this young person and God can work in someone's life it doesn't matter their age was was knew that the indoctrination he was receiving was empty and you can see the way they portray on his face the emptiness and then the difference the transformation uh, in his face afterwards it's just it really is a fantastic video so well done take five minutes of your time um, can that video also be found say on YouTube and other places it is on YouTube okay. yes um, and it will ultimately it will be available just as many places as possible okay. but yeah it is on YouTube and there's a link to that on persecution.com okay and now people on the website persecution.com can also donate to the ministry correct because you do come alongside uh, the brethren with very practical day-to-day needs what are some of the things that you do for them on a daily basis well our work in hostile and restricted nations and again it's more than 70 countries where VOM is actively working with persecuted Christians uh, the the work overseas falls into kind of three main buckets if I can use that term the first is persecution response. So, hey, your house is burned down because you're a Christian. You need a place to live. You need a roof over your head. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is persecution response, responding directly to people who have been persecuted, helping them get back what was lost. Maybe that is a roof over their head. Maybe it is school fees when your dad is in prison because he's a pastor. Uh, helping persecuted Christians directly, persecution response. The second big bucket is Bibles. Uh, one of the things that, that persecuted Christians want is access to God's Word. Oftentimes, their governments prohibit that. Their governments prevent them from having Bibles. A Voice of the Martyrs delivers every year more than a million Bibles wow. into hostile and restricted nations. So that's the second mm-hmm. big bucket. The third big bucket is what we call frontline ministry. And, and honestly, uh, I kind of half-jokingly call these brothers and sisters pre-persecuted Christians. Uh, they are mm-hmm. doing mission work. They're doing church planting work in a hostile or restricted nation, a place where they are likely to be persecuted for following Jesus Christ. And so we provide them with tools and training and encouragement to help further their ministry, to help further the kingdom of God in that country. And we know that some of these brothers who are frontline workers today are going to be prisoners for Christ tomorrow. Um, And so that is a part of this training and encouragement is, hey, we want to train you to stand strong under persecution. We also want you to know if you do get sent to prison, we'll make sure that your family has enough to eat. We'll make sure that your family has a roof over their head. So there is that encouragement as well. That falls under frontline ministry. So those are kind of the three big buckets overseas. And then here in America, we do what we're doing right now. We tell the stories of persecuted Christians. We invite American Christians to pray for them and really encourage the faith of American Christians. As we tell these stories, as you see people who are boldly witnessing for Christ in spite of great risk, uh, the challenge for each of us is go and do likewise. Hey, mm-hmm. w- what could I do in my neighborhood? What could I do in my city mm-hmm. to advance the kingdom of God the way my brothers and sisters in China or Iran or Eritrea are doing? Yeah. Well, when you think about uh, November 5th, the day of prayer, if even a fraction of solid churches are praying, I, you know, imagine what God can do. Um, he can do it anyway. But imagine um, what prayer will do on that Sunday and really all of November and all around the year 
to have these things in our minds. And so I just love that uh, the whole idea of the app with reminders and that sort of thing. My question, uh, next question, Todd, for you is, has to do with leadership in some of these persecuted nations. Are there opportunities? I know you equip believers. Are there opportunities for, say, um, I know it'd be hard in a lot of nations, but to have Bible schools or whatever to, to raise up leaders to, to lead um, new believers and, and the established churches in those, or is that really difficult? Uh, it is difficult, but it is possible, okay. um, and, and it is one of the ways that Voice of the Martyrs is working. And, you know, one of the things, it is often a conversation as a church is growing, I think particularly of the church in Iran. So uh, the church in Iran is the fastest growing church in the world. Wow. Uh, it is spreading like wildfire. Wow. Uh, the gospel is spreading in Iran. People are coming to faith in Christ. But as the church grows like that, the, the natural next question is, okay, who's going to lead? Right, <laughs> who's right. who's going to lead all these house churches that are being planted? Who's going to disciple these new believers and grow them up in their faith? And so there is a great need for leadership in hostile and restricted nations. And like you say, it is not, you know, it's not like they all go to Bible school and, and it's real public and it's real, right. like, established and everybody knows, oh, yeah, I'm going to Bible school. Um Oftentimes, it is uh, some hybrid form of Bible school. Sometimes people will go for a week and then go home for three months and then come back for another week. And and in many cases, these Bible schools are underground. I, I was with some pastors in Vietnam who their Bible school, once they checked into the Bible school, they didn't leave the building for weeks or months at a time because they didn't want the authorities to figure out what was going on there. And if, you know, you had a bunch of people coming and going, pretty soon somebody's going to ask, hey, what are you doing in that house? What, what's going on there? Um, and so once they went through the door, they were there until they went back home weeks or months later. And so it is a sacrifice for these brothers and sisters to go to Bible school, to go through that kind of training process but they are hungry to do it. Mm. Uh, they recognize the need for God to raise up leaders in their churches, and they are hungry to further their education, to further their training. And oftentimes, because it's not like, hey, you go away for four years and go to Bible school, it's, hey, you go away for a week, and then you go back home, and then you come back later for another week. One of the great things about that is they are able instantly to put into practice what they are being taught. It is not just a bunch of theories. It is, hey, okay, now go home and do this, and then come back in a few weeks and, and tell us how it went. So there is that really practical aspect to it that I think in some ways is is more valuable than maybe going away for four years uh, yeah. because they get to see it put into practice so quickly. Wow. wow. That's, a, that's another thing uh, that we can certainly pray for, that God would raise up um, leaders in those churches. And you, you mentioned Iran, and I was listening to one of the uh, broadcasts, and a gentleman was saying that Iran is no longer Muslim. Now, it, it is, you know, Islamic Republic is what we think of when we think of Iran. Um, but they've been hearing the gospel for many years, correct? And, and if, you know, if they're no longer Muslim, what, how does that, how does that translate to our understanding of the church in Iran? Well, it is a it is a pretty radical thought, and uh, the guest we had, Dr. Hormo Shariot, is uh, an evangelist working, speaking via satellite television every mm. evening into Iran, uh, and then getting phone calls back from people inside the country. So he wow. is very connected to what's happening in the country. This is Iran is a great story because uh, God, you know, it it goes back to what Joseph said: what you intended for evil, God intended for good. 
And if we think back to 1979 and the Islamic Revolution in Iran, the mullahs take over the government. So the Islamic leaders take over the government of Iran, and their promise is we are going to run this country exactly according to the Quran. We are going to run this country as if Muhammad himself was running it. That's how we're going to make decisions. That's how we're going to run this country. And we're now 40-plus years down the road of them saying that, hey, we're doing everything exactly how Islam wants us to do it. 40 years later, we have one of the highest drug addiction rates in the world is in Iran. You have a government that is horribly corrupt, and the people know it. The people see how corrupt the government is. And so the people are looking at this, and in their minds, the government is Islam. So if the government doesn't work... That means Islam doesn't work. They've had 40 years to try it. They've had 40 years to try to get it right. They haven't done it. So Islam doesn't work. So when Dr. Hormoz says Iran is no longer an Islamic nation, what he is saying is the people have rejected Islam. They have seen Islam doesn't work. They don't want to be Islamic. They don't want to follow Muhammad. They don't want to do what the Quran says because they don't think it works based on what their government has done for the last 40 plus years. And so into that soil, God is using the Internet. God is using satellite television. God is using Christians on the ground in the country to plant gospel seeds. Now, you know, and we talked about this with Hormoz, and he said, you know, I'm, I'm not saying all those Iranians have become Christians, but they're open to the gospel. Maybe they've become atheists. A lot of Iranians have become atheists. Uh, maybe they've become kind of agnostic. Maybe they just want to pursue uh, capital success, commercial success, uh, but they are open to something other than Islam, and so that's why the church is growing so fast. And uh, I've literally had Iranian Christians tell me, Ayatollah Khomeini, the leader of the Islamic Revolution, is the greatest Christian missionary in the history of Iran. And it's like, wait a minute, he wasn't a Christian. And they're like, yes, exactly. <laughs> he was the face of Islam, mm -hmm. and the people don't want that face. They don't want Islam any longer. And so that's why the church is growing so fast. Wow. Wow, that's, that's a great story because I think people really understand that Islam is a political ideology disguised as a religion and in order to keep people in line because, you know, there, there's no vacuum when it comes to spirituality in the world. There's, there's never a vacuum. And so now we have Islam, the religion, connected to Islam, the political ideology, which teaches that, you know, Allah gives them authority to kill all infidels. And, and um, like you said, and I'm so glad you said that, people are seeing through it. And I know that that... Um, the revolution overthrowing the Shah happened, uh, I think it was 44 years ago, in no early November as well. I remember it very, very well. Yeah, so, uh, and, you know, the other thing that I would point out off of that the, the, is if you go next door to Afghanistan and the Taliban oh, two years ago yeah. took over Afghanistan, mm -hmm. and we need to pray for a similar revival in Afghanistan because they're they're not Shia, they're Sunni, but they're they're saying the same things. Hey, we're going to run this country exactly how Muhammad would run it. We're going to we're going to be the best Muslims and we're going to run everything the Islamic way. The people in Afghanistan are already kind of having some of the same questions that our Iranian brothers and sisters have had for years. Hey, wait a minute. If that's what it means to be a good Muslim, I'm not sure I want to be one. Hey, w w wait a minute. This this is not going well. There, there's people in our country who can't eat. Why, why is that? Does Islam not work? And so 
I hope that in the years to come, we will see the same kind of revival in Afghanistan under the Taliban that we have seen in Iran under the Islamic Revolution there. Boy, that would be definitely something to pray for as well. I mean, China has somewhat moved into Afghanistan. They're, they're forming relationships there. China is waiting for the Taliban to give it access to Afghanistan's rare earth min- minerals that America left behind. So it's just absolute chaos um, and... Uh, of course, our God can use anything for good um, for people to get saved in these end times. So uh, another another great prayer request would be, like you said, for Afghanistan, these to come to Jesus in droves. That would be incredible. Um, there are several other uh, hotspots we want to talk about today. I want to ask you in general, though, do you feel that um, persecution overseas is ramping up day to day? I know there's a lot of um, immigrants coming into uh, Britain and Europe uh, Muslims, it, does that uh, sort of correlate with an uptick in uh, persecution in Europe, for instance? You know, we are starting to hear some stories from Western Europe about uh, typically within a, a pers- uh, particular community within a an immigrant group there may be a, a family situation, a family persecution situation. Um, but I would say. There is a rise in persecution, and I would point to two two reasons for that. One one good, one bad. Mm-hmm. One good reason for that is because the church is growing. Um, so if you're in a place like Iran, we see more persecution. Part of the reason for that is because there are more Christians. There are more potential targets for persecution mm-hmm. because the church is growing. And we see that in Iran. We see that in other places around the world uh, where persecution is increasing, partly because the church is growing and there's more Christians to face persecution. The other reason I would point to, and this is particularly in relation to the continent of Africa, we see the rise of radical Islam in Africa really moving from uh, north to south uh, across the continent of Africa. And uh, we added four African countries to to our global prayer map this year because persecution is is not a one-off anymore. It's a pattern. It's a part of following Christ in those countries. And so that really is something that is concerning as we see that growth of radical Islam, as we see many more of our brothers and sisters in the crosshairs of persecution because of that. Uh, but also in these countries, we do see the church growing, and we see Christians standing up strongly for Jesus Christ. So uh, there, there is a bit of good news in that story as well. Mm-hmm. Wow, yeah, that is good news. Uh, you're listening to Stand Up for the Truth. My name is Mary Danielson. I'm speaking with Todd Nettleton, a voice of the martyrs, and he always has such encouraging information and challenges to the church to be able to help them um, with their day-to-day life in the midst of very difficult times. Todd, we only have three minutes left. Is, is there a specific country or story that you want to tell us before we go to the break, and then we're going to come back and talk about uh, definitely Pakistan, the Middle East, um, China, all, all kinds of areas. And is there something specific you want to leave us with before the break? Well, let's leave with some good news. We pointed out in July that uh, there were two pastors in the nation of Eritrea who were about to spend their 7,000th day in prison. Oh, my. Uh, We launched a campaign. uh, That is more than 19 years that that they have been in prison. Um, We launched a campaign to draw attention to that fact, to ask people to pray for them, to ask people to contact the Eritrean embassy. Six days after we launched that campaign, 13 Eritrean Christians were released from prison. 
Uh, now, unfortunately, not the two pastors that now have been more than 19 years in prison, um, but 13 Christians, all of whom had been in prison over 10 years, so they were long-term prisoners as well, all released just six days after we launched that campaign. Now, you can't tell me that the prayers of God's people, mm-hmm. you can't tell me that the faxes and the emails that were sent to the Eritrean embassy didn't have a role to play in the fact that those 13 were released. So we thank God for uh, allowing us to tell those stories. And, and so many Christians who prayed, so many Christians who got on their computer, sent a fax, sent an email, uh, but they're really the direct response to that of seeing 13 Christians walk out of prison is an amazing praise to the Lord. And uh, I just, I thank the Lord for their freedom. And I continue to pray for Pastor Haile Naiski and Dr. Kiflu Gebremuskel. Again, now more than 7,000 days they have been in prison simply for being pastors in the nation of Eritrea. Wow. Is, is that, um, and you may not know the answer to this, is that is sort of, can that be common in certain certain places around the world that, that they would keep uh, people in prison for that long for their faith? There are long-term prisoners in other countries as well. Eritrea is, is somewhat unique, though, because right now there are about 300 Christians in prison there. Not a single one of them has even been charged with a crime. Uh, they, they've never had a trial. They never had a lawyer. They don't have a prison sentence where they know how long they're going to be in prison. Uh, they just get arrested they disappear into the Eritrean prison system. And in the, in the case of Haile and Kuflu, it's now been more than 19 years, and they're still in prison, and, and nobody knows uh, what what their condition is. Nobody knows exactly what's going to happen to them or how soon they might be released. Wow. Um, so we certainly encourage people to pray for them wow. while they're in prison. Yes, absolutely. It's in, in case people don't know where that is, it's a Northeast African country. It's on the Red Sea coast, and it shares borders with Ethiopia and Sudan. Um, so I guess it's not too hard to understand um, a tremendous amount of persecution there. But that's quite the story, and we're praising the Lord with you for that. So this is Stand Up for the Truth. My name is Mary Danielson. We're talking to Todd Nettleton with Voice of the Martyrs, and we will be back in two minutes with more from him and how we can come alongside the persecuted church. Stay with us. Your prayers and ongoing financial support keep our Truth at Any Cost mission strong. StandUpForTheTruth.com Welcome back to Stand Up For The Truth for this Friday. My name is Mary Danielson. I'm speaking with Todd Nettleton of Voice of the Martyrs. Always a pleasure to have Todd on and give us a reality check on what our family is going through overseas. Uh, Persecution.com is the site for Voice of the Martyrs. VOMRadio.net. Highly recommend uh, those broadcasts. It also airs Saturdays at 8.30 a.m. Central Time on Q90FM. Yes, Q90FM. Um, there's an app in your app store, too, and Todd was telling about that um, in the first part. So um, we're thankful for that and all the things that they are doing. I was listening to one of the podcasts, uh, Todd, and um, a, a gal was talking about becoming a missionary overseas. And sometimes it's the mindset is that we're taking Jesus with us to these countries. You know, God lives in the West and it's a road trip for him to go overseas. But she said, when we got there, Jesus had already been there and was already there. And I thought that was really profound because um, God's hand is certainly on these persecuted brethren. So I thought that was great. Who was, what was the name of that gal? Do you recall offhand that you were talking to? Uh, 
Cynthia Anderson, okay. and uh, she has just written a book. She actually trains missionaries now, trains gospel workers. And, yeah, I, I thought that was insightful, too, because I think a lot of time, and particularly young gospel workers who are going out, it's like, man, I'm so excited about this. I'm going to I'm gonna take God out there and, and take him to places he's never been before. It's like, mm-hmm. wait a minute. He's been everywhere. He's, he is everywhere. Yes. Um, so uh, it was a good reminder. Yeah, I thought that was very profound, actually. I also, I also want to mention Todd's book, When Faith is Forbidden, 40 Days on the Front Lines with Persecuted Christians. Um, again, I hate to overuse the word encouraging, but it really, really is encouraging to see what God is doing in people's lives. And, and so um, let's talk about, Todd, let's talk about Pakistan, because I know that in August, not too long ago here, churches were set ablaze uh, in one province in Pakistan, accusations of blasphemy um, and a lot of tension between Muslim Muslims and the minority Christian communities. What can you tell us about Pakistan and how we can pray for them? Yeah, this uh, this is an example of what happens in Pakistan, and it happened in the middle of August. So there was a report early one morning in, in a Christian area of, of a particular city in Pakistan called Jaranwala. Uh, there was a report that, that two pages of a Quran had been torn out of the book and had been defaced, that, that Muhammad had been disrespected in this writing on these pages. Now, the interesting thing about the initial reports were that, that these two pages were found and stapled to them were photocopies of the ID documents of two young Christian men, mm-hmm. um, which is like, wait a minute, if, if you were going to commit a crime, would you like leave your driver's license at the scene? No, you wouldn't do that. So mm-hmm. there's, there's questions from the get-go about how did these pages get torn out of a Quran and who did that, or was this all a setup? And, mm-hmm. and that is unfortunately quite possible the word went out that morning uh, announcements on social media announcements from the loudspeaker of the local mosques hey muslims while you're eating your breakfast uh, these christians have defaced the quran they have disrespected our religion they've disrespected our prophet you need to drop what you're doing and, and defend our religion uh, and within hours, a group of about 6,000 angry Muslims was marching through that Christian community. By the time they were done, the, the attack went on for more than 10 hours. By the time they were done, 25 church buildings had been destroyed. About 100 Christian homes had either been looted or completely destroyed. Uh, Christians literally fled the area in fear for their lives. Um, and our VOM contacts, actually, we had VOM contacts that were there within hours, literally, um, helping some of the Christian families find a place to stay that night, helping them figure out, okay, well, what are we going to eat? Our, our home has been burned down. We don't have a place to go. We don't have a place to stay. What, what are we going to do? Um, thankfully, there were contacts of Voice of the Martyrs that, that went and helped answer those questions. They helped those believers find a place to stay, find food to put on the table. Um, since then, the government has said all the right things. So the, the government of Pakistan has said, oh, this shouldn't have happened. This attack was mm-hmm. terrible. We're going to help rebuild those homes. Um, so far, they have been more interested in photo ops than they have been in actual rebuilding of homes. Mm. Uh, we had a briefing last week about what's happened in Jaranwala, and, and one of the stories that they told, they said uh, the government went in and painted the walls of a church that had been destroyed, uh, but they didn't fix the roof that was completely destroyed. So so it's completely open to the weather, but they painted the walls, 
Uh, so somebody could take a picture and say, hey, look, we're here. We're sure. helping these Christians rebuild. It's like, wait a minute. If they don't have a roof, you're not really rebuilding. Um, so that's what the government has done because of that. Ministries like Voice of the Martyrs obviously are are trying to help, trying to step in. Voice of the Martyrs right now is focusing on two areas. One is children. Uh, a lot of the Christian children in this area, now they can't go to school, either because they don't have a place to stay. There have also been Christian children turned away by Muslim teachers uh, who say, wait a minute, you're a Christian, you're part of that troublemaking group, you sh- don't, don't come, don't come in my classroom. Mm-hmm. So our focus is on helping children, making sure that they still have access to education. The second focus is on pastors. Uh, it would be very easy if you had been attacked and your church had been burned down to say, you know what, I, I think God is calling me someplace else. I think God is calling me to a safer place. Um, we're trying to help pastors rebuild and stay in ministry and stay in that area because we don't want to have a complete void of leadership, a complete void of pastoral ministry in that area. So our focus, like I say, right now we're focusing on children affected by this attack mm-hmm. and pastors affected by this attack, uh, and we're continually reevaluating as far as, okay, what do they need now? And we're still hopeful that the Pakistani government will really provide some practical help. Wow, that would be that would be fantastic. But I understand that that country has some of the strictest blasphemy laws anywhere. Is that your understanding as well? It, it does, and and the blasphemy laws are often used as a weapon uh, to settle a score against a Christian or even against a fellow Muslim. If you point at somebody and say, "Hey, I I heard them say something bad about Muhammad," that person is going to get arrested. And and sure, maybe two or three or five years from now, the judges will say, oh, yeah, he actually didn't say anything bad about Muhammad. He can go home. But in the meantime, he's been in jail for five years. Mm-hmm. If, if you want to steal his property, you can steal it. He's gone. If you, you know, so it is often used simply to settle a score or to, to take advantage of someone. And Christians are often victimized by that. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, even if you're found not guilty, you have a target on your back for the rest of your life. I think of Asya Bibi, who was maybe the most famous blasphemy, uh, accused of blasphemy in Pakistan. Uh, Ultimately, the Supreme Court said, no, she did not commit blasphemy. She was allowed to go free, but she had to immediately flee Pakistan for her safety. She's gone into hiding, uh, and no one is completely sure where she is now because she still has that big target on her back, and, and there are still radical Muslims who would say, hey, we have to kill Asya Bibi. We have to uh, avenge her blasphemy against our religion, against our prophet. Uh, and so even we're now, years later, she still has to live in hiding because of that blasphemy accusation. Wow. A lot of darkness. A lot, a lot of darkness. Is it? Is it? Uh, do they differentiate between, you know, say, denominational churches, maybe the Salvation Army is over there, or Pentecostal churches, or whatever? Is it just a whole-scale whole anything that, it is not Muslim or infidels, as they would consider infidels. Is it just any church? It is any church, yes. Now, people who are from a Muslim background now following Jesus Christ, uh, they would be considered apostates, and, and they would be worthy of death. So so they would be kind of at the top of the target list, I, I would say, if I can use that phraseology. But anybody who is a Christian uh, is a target. And in this case, there were churches, this was a kind of a known to be a Christian enclave in this particular city. There were churches with crosses on top. 
and so it, it became a target of, hey, these Christians allegedly blasphemed, so let's go and get vengeance against mm-hmm. all the Christians. And in that case, mm-hmm. it didn't really matter what denominational background, or it, it was simply a matter of let's get revenge against all Christians. Wow. Yes, and, and, and just, not just imprisonment, right? Um, uh, abductions? I mean, servitude? Uh, what, there are other various things that they use, um, against Christians, just, just harassing them, all manner of discrimination. Uh, is that, is that correct? It's not always imprisonment, um, and there's executions, I would presume, too. That is true. There, there are all manner of persecution, and uh, Christians in Pakistan, again, particularly Christians who were born in a Christian family, kind of traditional Christian communities, are held down by the whole society. They are given the worst jobs. They are given the worst places to live. They uh, have that kind of oppression. Uh, one of the one of the things I'll never forget. I had a conversation on VOM Radio with a Pakistani Christian. Um, and he said, you know, for us in Pakistan, being a Christian, uh, persecution is like the air that you breathe here. Uh, and, and the point he was making is, hey, we're not going to wake up tomorrow morning and wonder if there's going to be air, right? right. There, there will be air. And that's how it is to be a Christian in Pakistan. You don't wake up in the morning wondering if there, you'll be oppressed and persecuted that day. You will be. It, it is just such a part of life that it's almost like they don't even think about it. They don't even notice it sure. because it is just part of their life. It's something they wake up every morning knowing they're going to have to endure. They're going to have to encounter. And uh, so I, I have often thought as I've uh, talked about Christians in Pakistan, as I've heard more stories of persecution there about that analogy that, hey, it's like the air that we breathe. Persecution is all around us. We don't wonder if it's going to be here. It's going to be here. Mm. I wonder, too, when the West is going to actually hold some of these leaders into account for this. I don't see that happening. Do you? You know, it is such a great question. And um, I think of Prime Minister Modi from India, who was just here a few weeks ago, uh, state dinner at the White House, a warm welcome, and his government, his country is persecuting our brothers and sisters. And um, there, there was a lot of talk about Yes, we're going to talk about that, but we're not going to embarrass him publicly. We're going to talk about that behind closed doors. Well, how do we know if those conversations happened, if they were all behind closed doors? Um, and how much pressure did he feel? How, how important did he perceive that was if in public we're saying, man, Prime Minister Modi, we're so glad you're here. We love what you're doing in India. And then in secret, we're saying, oh, by the way, please be nicer to Christians. It, it just it is hard to know how. And I'm you know, thank the Lord, I'm, I wasn't called to run for public office. I don't have to make those decisions. I know, you know we do need to talk to India about other things besides religious freedom. Yes, we do want India to help uh, kind of balance things against China. But how can we have a leader here without talking about the persecution mm-hmm. of our brothers and sisters, and without at least raising the issue of religious freedom mm-hmm. and and the protection of religious minorities? Um, I, I hope our government takes advantage of every conversation, every opportunity to at least raise that issue and say, hey, this is important to us as Americans. Yeah, wouldn't that be wonderful? And, of course, we know the Bible says that Jesus says if they hated him, they will hate us. So there's always that. Um, that, that can be hopeful, too. I mean, we've, we've been warned about that, and um, our reward is in heaven. So uh, I'm looking at uh, Persecution.com Global Prayer Guide, the countries. 
restricted and hostile countries. Can you explain to us what that means as far as your ability to access or anyone's ability to access um, what's going on there against Christians? Because you have by continent, you know, and by country alphabetically, but you also have hostile and restricted. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, let, let me explain the difference between those two. So restricted nation, the, the, the basic understanding is a restricted nation is a place where the government is doing the persecution. Oh. It is against the law to have a Bible. It's against the law to become a Christian. Um, so that is a what we call a restricted nation is, is kind of the government is the persecutor. So you get arrested by the police. You go to court and stand in front of a judge, and he sentences you to time in prison. That's a restricted nation. A hostile area may be a place where the government says, hey, we want to protect the Christians. But within that country or within that area, there are radical groups that, that don't want Christians, that are attacking Christians. Uh, a great example of that would be Nigeria. Nigeria, the government says, you can be a Christian. We have religious freedom. In southern Nigeria, there are actually a lot of Christians. But when you go to northern Nigeria, there are Islamist Fulani who are attacking Christians. There is Boko Haram that is attacking Christians. And so that is what we call a hostile area where maybe the government says the right things. Maybe they even do the right things. But there are significant groups within that country that are opposed to the church and are persecuting our brothers and sisters. And the government doesn't necessarily do anything about them? So sometimes that is true, yes. And okay. um, sometimes, I, again, I think about Nigeria, sometimes the government is unwilling to take a stand to protect religious minorities. Uh, sometimes the government doesn't have the capability. Uh, and I think in Nigeria, sometimes it's a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. In some cases, the government is unwilling. Uh, in some cases, we've heard of literally police kind of standing by while mm -hmm. an attack is going on. Um, in other cases, it's just the, the opponents or the terrorist group ha are too strong, uh, and the government can't stop them from persecuting. Okay. So uh, both of those can be true. Uh, but again, the restricted nation, the government is the persecutor. Hostile nation, the government at least says it will protect religious minorities, but there is another persecuting group, be it a terrorist group, be it people's own families, people's tribal identity. Um, there is another group that is persecuting our brothers and sisters. Oh. Talking to Todd Nettleton from Voice of the Martyrs, persecution.com, vomradio.net and a, a terrific app in your app store. Tell us a little bit about a pastor in the Middle East who was kidnapped. He did get rescued, and tell us about how God works through that situation. Yeah, this is a great, amazing answer to prayer story. This pastor, they call him Jacob, uh, was held hostage by a terrorist group for more than three weeks, and they kidnapped him. They were actually sending videos to members of his church showing how they were mistreating him while he was being held, uh, and he was rescued. After people around the world prayed, uh, God actually used an unbeliever to open the door for him to be rescued. And I don't know all the details. I, I doubt if we'll ever know all of the details this side of heaven. Uh, but he was rescued and restored back to his wife. Uh, he's only been married for about two years. He and his wife have a nine-month-old baby. He was restored back to his family. Um, just an amazing answer to prayer. 
he was blindfolded the entire time he was held captive. Mm. So he never knew if it was day or night or what time it was. Uh, his captives said horrible things to him and about him in his presence. Um, one of the things they would do when they had a meeting to talk about him, uh, to talk about what to do with him, they would put music on, really loud music, in the room where he was being held so that he couldn't overhear what they were saying. Um, he said whenever that music came on, he tried to make that his devotional time. Um, and he'd say, okay, they're going to talk about me in that room. Well, God, I'm going to talk with you in this room. Um, and so he turned that into his devotional time. And one of the things, he comes out of a Muslim background. Uh, Muslims are often challenged to memorize the Quran. He has kind of brought that idea into his spiritual walk with God and, and has tried to memorize massive amounts of Scripture. Um, the thing that encouraged him as he was held captive were the Psalms. Uh, Psalm 50, verse 15 especially, Call on me in the day of trouble, I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. He said he quoted that psalm again and again and again, and he sensed God saying, Wait, be patient, wait, 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 the time is not right yet. And you can imagine being held blindfolded for three weeks, being beaten repeatedly, uh, it would be like, God, I'm tired of waiting. I need mm -hmm. to be rescued now. Mm -hmm. And uh, But he did wait and ultimately was rescued. The other thing that God allowed him to do in captivity is to really love his captors. In fact, he said one of his captors at one time said, hey, you wish we were dead, don't you? And he said he was able to tell his captor, no, I don't wish evil for you. God allowed him to respond with forgiveness and respond with love, even to his captors, even to his enemies who were holding him captive. Um, that is a miracle as well mm -hmm. as his ultimate rescue. So just really an amazing story of God's faithfulness and, again, the power of prayer, because people were praying around the world for Pastor Jacob to be released. Wow. Yeah, it's wonderful to get a good report, and that, that certainly the Holy Spirit was working in that man's uh, through him um, and um, causing changes to happen in people's hearts, which is just fantastic. And I love to hear that sort of thing. You also have a story from South Asia, um, a, a village, an area that was completely closed to the gospel. And Christians were thinking, well, you know, we're probably never going to reach these people. Tell us what happened there. Well, this is a story that's coming up not uh, this weekend, not tomorrow, but the following weekend on VOM Radio. So we okay. will have a conversation about this. But this is a, a very close village in South Asia. Um, finally, there was a little bit of a breakthrough in 2016. There was a fire in the village, uh, and they called Christians to come and help because they had to rebuild. Uh, the Christians came. They provided some tarps. They provided some help, some food, and they asked, can we pray? Now, you know, they've just brought this help. It's, it would be kind of awkward to say, no, 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 we don't. We want your help, but we don't want your prayers. They said, okay, okay, you can pray. And so the Christians knelt in the ashes of one of the burnt homes in this village, and their prayer was very simple. Lord, build your church in this village. After that, they tried to follow up several times. They felt like, hey, we have an open door now. We've met some people in the village now. Every time they were turned away. Nope, we don't want outsiders. We don't want foreigners. We don't want anything to do with you. Um, and so it seemed like a completely closed door. Then COVID happened. Nobody was traveling anywhere. There was Everything was shut down. Then in March 2021, so five years after they were in the village and prayed that prayer and helped the people of the fire, two men from the village showed up and sat at the back of their church. And after church, they talked to them because visitors to church are suspicious in that context. Hey, who are you? Where are you mm -hmm. from? They were two men from that village. 
and they had come to hear more, and they wanted to accept Christ. When they went later to the village, and today there is a church meeting in the village, they went and to go to the home of this one man who had become a Christian. When they got to his home, they realized it was the exact spot where they had knelt and prayed back in 2016, Lord, build your church in this village. It was the exact spot. His home had been built over that spot, and now that that home is where the church in that village is meeting. So not only did the Lord answer the prayer, he answered the prayer on the exact spot where it was offered five years later. Wow, another great account, and I know you have so many stories like that, and uh, what an, how great to increase our faith in these dark times. Todd, we only have about four minutes left. I was going to ask you about China. I don't know. It seems like it is such a closed country. Do we know much about China? All we ever hear about is the, the house churches, but uh, how are things going there? Can you tell us about that? China is is very difficult right now for okay. the gospel. Uh, President Xi Jinping is is personally overseeing the enforcement of religion laws. He is actually they have passed new religion laws in the last couple of years, uh, preventing Bibles from being sold online, preventing mm-hmm. online religious activity, online worship services to the point that. Literally, if you want to hold an online prayer meeting, say, you know, many of us did this during COVID, maybe we do this with uh, people around the world today. If you want to hold an online prayer meeting, you need permission from the, the equivalent for us would be the governor's office of our state. So so you need permission from a provincial leader mm. to be able to hold that online worship service. And, and by the way, they're not going to give you permission. <laughs> Just yeah, know ahead no of time, that permission <laughs> is not coming. Um, so even online services are now being controlled, being watched. Um, it is really a challenge for the church. The other thing you have going on in China is the surveillance system. Uh, something like half a billion mm-hmm. security cameras all around the country watching people, facial ID recognition software, knowing who's who, knowing where they're at. Um, so when you think about mm-hmm. gathering for a secret worship service or you think about delivering illegally printed Bibles and then you think about half a billion cameras, um, it is very wow. difficult for the church right now in China. And again, this is coming from the highest levels of the government, from Xi Jinping, from his government in Beijing. They are pushing this out to every province, to every corner of China. Um, and so I would encourage people, pray for the church in China. There wow. is still a church. They are still meeting together. They are still giving out Bibles, and they understand this could come with a price. This could come with a very high price. So please do pray for our brothers and sisters in China. Yeah, absolutely. The social credit score where they can shut your life off uh, if you uh-huh. are not in in their, uh, you know, following their ideology, following their um, whatever it is that they're doing. And I, I see that coming to a lot of the world. I see that coming to America at some point that we as Christians will have to, uh, you know, give an account for who we are and be bold um, because, you know, we may not eat, but, but that's, that's gonna happen. I think it's gonna come. It's a terrible time coming on this planet. I think that's gonna be part of it. So, Todd, thank you so much. We're nearing the end here. Uh, I'm sure we could do this much longer, but we're so grateful for what you're doing, what you have been doing, your faithfulness in coming alongside the persecuted church. Again, uh, persecution.com is the site for Voice of the Martyrs, vomradio.net. Uh, download the app from your app store. And again, the International Day of Prayer for Persecuted Christians. 
Sunday, November the 5th. And uh, talk to your pastors, talk to your leadership about maybe um, doing something for that. There are resources on the website uh, to come alongside you and your church so that you can do that. So thank you, Todd, so very, very much. We gotta, we have to call it a Friday here. But Monday, we have Pastor Kevin Minsky in the studio. Tuesday, Debbie Withnow of iVoter Guide. That'll be half of the program. The other half is going to be headlines, but we're going to talk about AI in the election process. So that should be interesting. Also, if you would like to get the uh, a weekly podcast digest and your email inbox, go to standupforthetruth.com and click the su- subscribe link and to your name and email address, and you'll get that every week. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, 58.